Hi folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game, a podcast where we take a deep dive into how to successfully bag game for the table and make it delicious. We'll explore hunting techniques, tools and equipment to increase your field success, and the utensils and culinary techniques that make wild protein delectable. My name is Tim Fowler, and I'm a Canadian journalist, chef, hunter, fisherman, and wild game cook. We'll talk with relevant experts, review gear that will help you achieve your goals, and provide game preparation details that will deliver memorable meals. Direct message me your questions on Instagram at Timothy D. Fowler, and while you're at it, give me a follow. Or you can email me your culinary questions at tim at birchcanoe.ca. Whatever your favorite wild protein, together we will elevate your game. Hi folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game. Today, we have a discussion with my brother, Peter. And uh, Pete and I started hunting, well, 22 years ago today. And uh, it's kind of neat for me to be able to introduce you to my brother. I have learned so much from him over the last couple of decades. Um, This is my brother, Pete. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Peter Fowler. I um, started hunting uh, as a very young man, and uh, it took uh, quite a few years before I could convince my brother into joining me. Um, as I told him to convince him, I said, you know, hunting is about the most fun you can have with your clothes on. So I think that kind of hooked him into it. And he, I, I kind of berated him for several years until finally he relented and said, all right, fine, I'll go hunting. And, so uh, that's the start of it years ago. So I, I remember that. I remember a couple things from our childhood. There's, here's two things that, uh, that, that'll be an interesting conversation starter. I, I remember as a kid, you being an incredible stalker, quiet, slow, persistent, and crazy successful. And, and part two of that was you had a 177 pellet gun that you removed the, the stock from the barreled action and slid that up your downfill coat sleeve so you could hunt in the backyard. Do you, do you, do you remember, remember that? that? <laughs> <laughs> you had a few rabbits running around back there. And <laughs> I, I might have shot a few of them, actually. <laughs> I, You know, I remember that. And, and um, how old would you be? Like then, so from 12 till, so I was, I was 39 when, when, uh, you decided to take me on that first duck hunt, we went as kids. I remember being, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, something like that. And hunting with dad and uncle Al and going to Southern Alberta and whacking a, a Windsor Chrysler trunk full of snow geese. (laughs) I, I recall that. Um, but you never you remember stopped Fred being there with his double barrel 10 gauge. I don't, I don't. That, <laughs> that's amazing. I got so, to shoot that. I just about dislocated my shoulder. Cause I think I was about 13. Amazing. It's amazing. So I, I remember, I remember chatting with you after my 39th birthday and us deciding to go on a duck hunt. Uh, down by 
Pine Lake on some friends, couple of quarter sections, and it was sort of pothole country, little potholes. Exactly. Yep. What do you what What do you remember of that hunt, that duck hunt? Um, well, I remember uh, going down there. His name is Peter as well, and I called him up and said, "Hey, do you mind if we go down?" He's, "Oh yeah, go ahead, not a problem." Um, he was also raising some grouse and some pheasants for release um, at the time. So we went down there and, uh, yeah, we kind of hopped around and, um, we did one little setup for some geese and they came in and, uh, we managed to jump shoot a couple of ducks. Um, I also remember, um, I don't know if it was the same time or not, but I kind of remember a psycho acreage owner coming out and freaking out on us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and maybe firing some salt. Did that? Is that another memory, or <laughs> that's another memory? I think. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> that's good. So, so I recall. Well, I recall cleaning um, cleaning ducks in your in your garage. Yep. And you know, I'm a culinary guy, so I I like cooking that wild stuff. And I remember you inviting me back, saying, "Well, Tim, you know, geese are." Uh, you know, ducks are good, but geese are a bigger payoff. You got to work a little harder. You're not jump shooting yep. geese for the most part. And we did that and we got a few geese and we cleaned them and I cooked them. And you said, well, if you want a really good payoff, you should come big game hunting. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, Pete, that's kind of a big deal. And then a few <laughs> weeks went by and I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was November 29th. Like it'd be the evening after dinner, 29th, probably it might've been whatever, one of those days. And you said, look, hunting season closes like tomorrow. Yep. Are you in or not? And I said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll buy a tag and I'll come hunting with you. And, um, I recall that went pretty well, actually. I recall did, counting... Yeah counting i want to say 169 is that is that crazy about right yeah there was a lot of deer out that was a that was a good area and you know it was 22 years ago so you know populations are a little bit different but um but yeah so we got a deer and then the instruction sort of started um well, first of all, before that, there was instruction about deer identification and you'd yeah. go through, uh, I can't remember, Peterson's hunting and what else? We'd sit at the table and you'd flash up like flashcards, just pictures of deer. And I'd say mule deer, whitetail, 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 mule deer, whitetail, mule deer, whitetail. And right. uh, there's both where uh, where we hunt. So, so we got this deer on the ground and then... Um, then the instruction started about how to handle it. And I'd like you to walk us through what you do once you get a deer on the ground, because, well, we talked about this before we went hunting. It's like, Tim, how you handle the meat is hundred percent driving the outcome at the table. And so I'd like you to walk through what you do, because what I see you doing is being unique and effective, and I've adopted it for all my big game animals, actually. So deer's down, we walk up on it, now what? Well, first off, it depends on what kind of animal it is. It also depends on what you want to do with it. So I'm I'm a meat hunter. I 
don't necessarily go after big boned animals. Um, antlers are pretty to look at. They're awful tough to eat. Um, I, that being said, I have shot some larger ones, but I don't uh, mount them on the wall. Uh, like I said, I'm not a trophy hunter. So what I do is if I uh, get an animal on the ground, uh, and I'm lucky enough to do that, which I've been fairly lucky year after year, um, I usually fill all my tags. Anyways, um, so what I do is I uh, approach the animal, ensure that it's actually deceased. Um, there's nothing worse than having a deer get back up on you and take off, which has happened to me. So I approach with caution, usually from the uh, south end of a northbound animal, and uh, give it a little tap with the barrel of the gun um, just to ensure that it has expired. And once the, that's confirmed, um, I use a uh, simple, solid hunting blade, very sharp. The sharper, the better. Um, I flip the animal onto its back. I uh, plunge the knife at an angle toward the chest cavity, right at the base of the sternum, so that I don't nick the intestines or anything below the, the diaphragm. I find the um, area between the sternum and the rib cage. They're joined with cartilage on uh, moose, elk, deer, antelope, any of the major large game animals. And what I do is I cut up the one side through that cartilage, separating the sternum from the rib cage. And then I repeat the process on the other <laughs> side. So I actually fully remove the sternum. Now, by doing that, it allows the better access to the heart and lungs um, and also to the top of the diaphragm. So then I, I continue to cut up through the neck. Um, I cut the windpipe off. I use the windpipe, put my thumb in the windpipe, gently pull. And as I pull it down, I cut out the windpipe and basically the heart and lungs come right out with it. Once that's done, I cut the skirting off on the diaphragm. I continue to split the hide down to the anus, um, open the animal up, remove the intestines. Um, you can either use a, a butt out tool or um, any kind of a, a very sharp, thin knife to remove the anal cavity and uh, basically just remove everything out of it. And uh, I basically do that as quick as I possibly can. Um, most times to gut a deer, it takes me probably 10 minutes at most. If it's real cold, I can do it in probably five minutes. Um, at that point, I load it up and I get it back to my house, to the garage. Most of the animals, probably 90% of the animals I've shot or 95% of them have all been shot within six miles of my house, my farm. So I basically hang them up, skin them down, cool them off. You want to handle an animal very quickly. You don't want that heat to build up in the meat. You need to cool the meat it'll start rotting amazingly quick. If an animal is not handled appropriately, you can destroy the meat. And since I am a meat hunter, that's what I'm after. So it's, uh, it's worth mentioning that you live in uh, central Alberta, parkland, on a farm, surrounded by farms, barley and peas and all kinds of good feed for deer, two kinds of deer and moose. Yep. And um, there's a couple of points I want to go back to. So you leave the hide on. Uh, 
to transport the deer. Correct. But what do you do as soon as you get home? You've got, I know you've got a meat pole at home that you can hoist, hoist an animal. Yeah, so I, use, I use a pulley system and I have an electric winch. So I just put a game roll into the animal, lift them up, skin them down. Um, most times, like I said, I've shot the animal within six miles of my house. I, in no time flat, it's down. Um, an example of, of how quick things can happen. Um, my son drew a, um, a moose tag this last fall. Um, we went out eight o'clock in the morning. I shot the moose. By 10 o'clock that day, we had the moose gutted, skinned, and in the meat shop already. Yeah. So yep. two hours. Yeah. And the quality um, of the, the, the quality of that just outstanding. It is. It's, Out, it's fabulous. Outstanding. Yeah. So that's, that's how I do it. I, I don't profess to know everything. I, I, I've done it that way. The first time I shot a deer, I was 16. Um, I've been hunting ever since then. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, cool. that's it in a, in a nutshell. And let's go back to that knife. Uh, you made a quick pass, just a description of your knife. It's a fixed blade, four, yep. four or five inches, something like that. Four and a half usually, yep. Yep. And is it a Buck Vanguard? Is that what it is? So I have a Buck Vanguard. I also carry a backup that's a Schrade old timer. Nice. Nice. Um, and I, I always keep a spare knife with me in my pack just because you just never know. You can lose a knife. Um, so I keep one on my hip, one on my pack. Um, and like I said, they're, I keep them. You could shave with them. Yeah. Which I kind of see you. It looks like you. Could be a bit of a shave, or <laughs> I don't know what you got going on there with that fuzz on your face, but <laughs> no, it looks good. <laughs> it's my attempt. It's my attempt at trying to grow a beard. Um, <laughs> and something else, Pete, I I noticed, like, and and I've adopted it because it's what I want to do. But man, we've skilled skinned a pile of animals. Yep. And I don't recall ever you having blood beyond the sort of your watch band if you're if you had a that's watch on, a on <laughs> sorry, sorry that's, again? that's on a moose <laughs> yeah and uh, it's about, know, it only gets up to my knuckles on a deer yeah some but sometimes you see a guy who's just skinned a moose and it's like you know they're blood up to their shoulders yes so so let's go back to that taking the sternum out so you shot a did you shoot a moose this year yeah well last year yep so, right, right. 2020. So, so, um, so tell me about that because the sternum thing, I think the sternum facilitates that. Like when you cut the right. sternum out. So you like a sternum on a moose is, you know, probably three inches wide. And, and what happens is when you do cut that, it, it opens the chest cavity. The, the ribs seem to relax almost. Um, so it expands it. So you've got, probably seven or eight inches to reach in like you're not and, and i don't like bone fragments cutting the backs of my hand or my arms um and i don't like you know being covered in blood unless i absolutely have to be and if you're i mean it's different if you're going after a trophy animal where you you don't want to cut the hide where you may be doing a full chest mount or, or head mount um you don't want to wreck the cape uh, that's that's a different approach like I said, myself, I'm just after meat animals. So, um, 
I usually don't worry about the cape. I don't save them. Um, I know some people use the hides. I generally don't. Um, we're fortunate enough here that I can usually get three to four deer a year, uh, the tags. So, um, you know, and then a moose and an elk and whatever else based on their draws. So, I mean, I have a lot of um, access to animals and wild game. And I eat probably the majority of my diet is wild game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once you open that sternum, it, I find it just relaxes the chest cavity. It opens it right up. You can easily access all the innards um, and remove them with really not much blood uh, on you at all. Well, depending on what kind of shot it is, right? The chest cavity is sure. not necessarily not necessarily full of blood. Um, what I'm thinking about is, so I, I know on a deer, 100% is just a knife. On the moose, are you using more than a knife or just the knife to cut the sternum? So usually I, I use <clears throat> a knife. Um, I also found uh, a set of pruning shears work remarkably mm-hmm. well for cutting through the sternum. Um, you can get some small uh, Corona type uh, shears that are, you know, 14 inches long. They'll fit in the pack. Um, for an elk or moose, they cut the rib cage like it's a hot knife through butter. I mean, it's just so easy. Good, good idea. And you mentioned the. Uh, I want to. I want to. Want to make sure folks get the sort of vision of the steps that you go through. So you commented about cutting the windpipe. So that means once the, um, once the sternum's out of the way and removed, you slice up the neck along the windpipe and then sever the windpipe, maybe a few inches into the neck. And then you put probably, I try and get five to six inches into the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you said thumb in the top of that windpipe and then you start to pull and And you what cut I, alongside that windpipe as you're pulling to free it. Yeah. And what once I'm, you get that down into the chest cavity, it's free. And basically it's the windpipe that holds the lungs and the heart. And there's a little bit of connective tissue along yeah. the backbone, but really there's not yeah. much. And you just work your way through that. And it, with a yeah. sharp knife, it cuts very easily. So the point of that is, is that the lungs and heart and I think liver are connected to that windpipe. So as you're tugging on that windpipe and you're gently cutting it free from, I don't know if it's the backbone or the, the top of the chest cavity. Well, you get oh, the, the main that. vein, the main veins and everything else. So then when you do hang your animal up, it also facilitates the blood removal from the carcass. It's very, it's a very clean, uh, it's a very clean process. And like you described, once, once the, um, once the entrails are sort of clear at the bottom of the ribs, then you've got the diaphragm, that skirt to cut free. So you cut that right. free. And then, you know, the anus is cut from the other end, but the whole works comes through. And yeah, then basically you roll done. the animal over and it tumbles right out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's, like, that's fantastic. And then, I don't know, what else do you focus on? Is that is that it for the field dressing? Pretty much. I mean, um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I do skin back a little bit along the rib cage and along the, the belly to get access. I leave the hide on because usually I'm, I'm dragging the animal out. I don't like sticks and leaves and dirt in on my meat. Um, I prefer to keep the carcass clean. Um, one thing I, I should caution people is 
always try and make an ethical shot. Drop the animal as quick as you can. Um, there's nothing worse than chasing a wounded animal. Uh, they tend to get heated up even more. So um, you may lose the animal on it completely. Or if you do find them, um, it may be a, at a period of time in the future and the meat is not very good. Also, it gets them tightened up and your meat's a little tougher um, and it has a lot stronger flavor. It's best to shoot them when they're feeding and they don't know you're there. Yeah, I've seen some. I've seen some amazing shots over the years, Pete. It's, uh, yep. it's also it also brings something that's kind of painful to me, which was a was a hard conversation. Uh, so I was pretty excited about that first year. I'm like, hey, got my deer. I had some great barbecue over the winter, juiced up for the next fall, and uh, I finally killed my deer. I think it was on the last day of the hunting season after spending a lot of time in the field with you. And you said something to me that was really painful. <laughs> Learn how to shoot. <laughs> what I what I recall was something like, you know, Tim, you have screwed up more shots this year than some guys have in a freaking lifetime. And I drove home with that. Like I, I was, uh, I, I think Kathy's car, I think I was driving Kathy's Taurus and I think we wrapped the deer and put it in the you back did. of the Taurus wagon in a, in a new tarp. So I was pretty excited yep. about having my deer, but that <clears> rattled <throat> around in my head for the drive home. And by the time I got home, I thought, Tim, that's the last time that's going to happen. And over the winter, I bought uh, a two, two, three. And I think I already had my rimfire. I think two, two, three was the big one. And yep. I started hand loading. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start to, I'm start going to, I'm going to start to hand load. I'm going to shoot hundreds of rounds. And over that summer, I took the two, two, three out and, and learned to shoot gophers out to like 250 and beyond. Yep. And when you went into that season. It was a marked uh, change. <laughs> it was a marked change. And I think I killed three deer. I think that might be one of those years where, you know, you, you, you buy a mule deer tag and you get three in the mail. It's just like. Yeah. There's so many mule deer here, man. We, we, if you're going to hunt, you're going to take three. So, so we also went out to Camp Wainwright that year too. I think, I think so. So it was like a seven or eight deer sort of fall. Yeah. And, um, and when that season wrapped up, you're like, somebody learned how to shoot. Yeah. And, and it was, it was having a center fire rifle and two, two, three, a light recoiling gun. And, um, I think that was when I also bought the Remington Ultramag, which is the opposite of that. But I, but I bought a yes. bolt action. I've been shooting the, I've been shooting the pump, which is, which is good, but it, I couldn't get a bipod and I found I was better to shoot off a bipod. So I, so I bought the bolt action and, um, I didn't need a 300, but whatever. Um, and I shot the two, two, three. So, and I still shoot that over the summertime because like you said, it's part of respect it's partly business and it's partly respect. It's partly business because you want to get the job done and you don't want to mess up the deer. On the other hand, it's partly respect. It's like this animal's going to give its life up for us to eat it. Let's make it easy for the animal. So sure. Fair enough. The other, the other thing is too, is that by using a lighter recoiling rifle that feels like your main hunting gun, it yep. becomes second nature to you. Um, you just aim, shoot, and, and you're done. And it's it literally becomes almost automatic if you shoot yep. enough. Yeah. Well, and it's worthwhile pointing out that the two two three and the three hundred are both model seven hundreds. Yep. So the you know the Remington format, the safety, the trigger, the triggers are set the same. They're they're alike. 
I mean, yes. other than a Remington Ultramag has a significant recoil, but I don't shoot it enough to fuss about recoil. I shoot the other gun. And yeah. uh, then when it's time to hunt, well, it works. Yeah, and when Good. you're when you're I find, I don't know how you find, but when I'm shooting at a big game animal, the recoil uh, doesn't even register. No. That's funny. It, it's a it's a strange but if you sit at a bench with it, I'll tell you, you're going to have oh, some pain. <laughs> yeah. I hate, I, I hate, I shoot the, uh, I hate shooting it at the bench. It's just, it's nasty. Yeah. Um, so cool. So we've hunted, well, we've hunted every year for 22 years. And, Correct. and I can tell you that some of the, um, some of the most enjoyable time, we spent together driving around the truck, looking for a place to go, looking for a place to find a stock. Yep. And then there's always time after the hunt, like the sun, the sun shuts down yep. and, uh, you know, there's time for a coffee or something else and, and some storytelling and some rehash of the day. It's a, and it's some a fresh game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there's a backstrap or a tenderloin and some mushrooms or something. And, yep. uh, we've hunted, well, I think the most memorable was 38 below from the outfitter tent. We, uh, I can't remember we were, what we, we were hunting moose or what we were doing. It was, th it was my, Dave was there. We had, it was minus yeah. freaking 38. 38 and we the, yeah. It was, that was insane. It was not good. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we've done some, uh, done some fun stuff together. Went to, uh, I guess that was a fishing trip. We went to a Nuvik to, uh, Trout Lake to be an NWT and, yeah. 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 So anyways, that's good. And what about your boys? What have you done as a dad to bring your boys along to, uh, to hunt? Well, my, uh, it was, it was just part of it when they were born. Um, you know, from the time they were in a car seat, they were thrown in the truck and <laughs> we're going hunting, <laughs> you know, um, they've, uh, they've been around it their whole lives. Um, Caleb, my youngest, he's, uh, I think he watched too many Disney films when he was young. He, uh, <laughs> he has a real, uh, soft spot for animals, so he won't shoot, um, animal. He's a, not a hunter. He will eat it. Uh, he likes wild game, but he just, he will not. And I ask him every year, Hey, you want to go shooting? And he's like, well, eh, no, <laughs> but he'll come and, uh, watch the, the proceedings, so to speak. Uh, my oldest son, Jeremy, um, he's a fantastic shot. Um, he's, uh, incredibly successful. Um, he's, I mean, I, I bought both of them 22s to start with the four tens, 20 gauges, 12 gauges. Um, and then I've let them shoot a variety of high powered rifles that I have. And, um, yeah, Jeremy took to it like a duck to water. Caleb, not so much, but that's fine. Uh, everybody has their own choice. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, they, they have to make their own ideas up, right? You can't sure. force them into it. And if sure. you try, they're just going to get resentful. So, Yeah, no, I, it's interesting because my experience is a little bit, I don't know if my experience is like Caleb, but my behavior was, I mean, we, we goose hunted when I was 16, I shot that goose and had to chase it. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like yeah. this is, I'm not hunting. I'm not going to hunt. And then, you know, then it was, 
39. Um, they call that late onset hunting now, which I think is pretty funny. We got another podcast about late onset hunting, but, um, but then I came back to it and, you know, loved it. And maybe that's in, maybe that's in Caleb's future. You know, one of my sons loves to hunt and the other one will hunt, but it's not so, um, gung ho, but, but, right. but Caleb understands the value of a good deer smoky. Oh yeah, absolutely he does. <laughs> and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with a good moose roast either. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's all. That's all good. And uh, I think you're right. There's no point in pushing anybody. I mean, if you want to hunt, you want to hunt, and if you don't, that's fine too. That's right. So, so that's cool. It's. I'm interested now to see what my grandkids are going to do. You know, my my uh, oldest granddaughter is, is coming up nine, and um, you know, we'll see if she's gonna shoot a 22 and then a 12 gauge and see what happens. So I'm sort of looking forward to that. It's good. Yeah. And I mean, uh, because we live on a farm, uh, you know, the field next to us is loaded with gophers, you know, Caleb will go out and shoot gophers because he understands that they're vermin basically. And yeah. they, um, yeah, they do provide some sort of uh, plowing or turning the fields over, but they do eat a lot of cropland and, um, they, you know, our neighbor, he's like, yeah, come on over and shoot all you like. Um, and there's no shortage of them. So yeah. we've been doing that for years and, and Caleb grew up doing it. Um, it has no issue with that. But when it comes to uh, a larger animal, uh, yeah, he's a little, little hesitant. Oh, it's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal yeah. and a big commitment. That's good. Well, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting feeling. Um when you do shoot a big game animal, um, it's one thing to shoot a, a small animal, um, like a rabbit. Um, not that they mean less, but the, the gravity of the situation quickly becomes real. When you first shoot a big game animal, yep. it's like, Oh boy, what did I just do? And now yep. what do I do? Yeah. And when I, I mean, when I was 16, I went out by myself with a 12 gauge shotgun and a slug and shot a white-tailed doe at 110 yards. And, I mean, the thing flipped over like it got hit by a pickup truck. I was just like, wow, I just killed an animal, a big animal. And I went over there, and I, I looked. I remember looking at it going, I have no idea what I'm doing, like zero. And uh, I basically treated it like I would treat a rabbit. So I gutted it and uh, loaded it up and put it in the trunk of my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I didn't have a truck back then. Yeah, and uh, took it home and um, had some butcher paper and and basically used a steak knife and a, a kind of a, a little bit of a cooking knife that I had, and I uh, carved it up and into chunks of meat, mostly cubed because I didn't know how to cut meat. I had no idea. I didn't know what the cuts were. I just knew that hey, I'm going to eat this thing because I'm hungry. <laughs> so. I uh, put it in the freezer and yeah, I ate it. It was, it was good. I was, uh, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good meat. So I'll do this again. And uh, yeah, I've been hunting ever since. That's why it's so good to have a mentor, you know, for, for you to be able to, I mean, there's a lot of time between that and the time we went hunting, you had lots of lessons in between, but it was sure nice for me to come with you. And uh, it's sort of a joke 
um, when we're hunting, it's like, oh, Tim, I, you know, I really could use some instruction. Why don't you show me how to do this? And <laughs> they hand you, they hand you their knife. And, yep. uh, and after that happens about three times, it's like, I tell you what, you take the knife and I'll walk you through the steps. Exactly. So, so anyways, it's nice to have somebody to demonstrate how to do what you got to do. And then it's also nice to have somebody looking over your shoulder. And and now I got 22 years of that. You know, we put a lot of game in the freezer yeah. and, um, and I, I say it comes with after time and you, you know, there's some, there's some things to accelerate that time, but after time, the animals come with um, cutting instructions. You know, the shoulders come apart yes. and that's mostly trim and sausage. You can make roast and stuff, but it's, it's trim and sausage meat. Everybody knows that the loins are, you know, the, the back strap, the top of the loin and the tenderloin inside. I mean, that's premium stuff. Ribs are ribs. Yep. You got to deal with them. And then the hind is a combination of that really tough shank which for me now is it just like 100% goes to Osobuco. I'm like that, those shanks braised in a mahogany kind of unctuous sauce. It's like, that's one of my high value meals. And then the legs, they can be cut into steaks or you can, you can find the seams as you take them apart and yep. pull those seams apart and make nice little sort of football size roasts. The deer, I mean, the deer doesn't cut itself, but it, but, but after you cut a few of them, it sort of gets to be, oh, yeah, this is how this works. And you cut your own, and it's fantastic. And then I cut the bones up into, I don't know, six or eight-inch pieces and make stock with them. Sometimes I roast the bones till they're dark brown and then make stock, and sometimes I just use them, you know, fresh like that. And then that goes into soup and gravy. So the animals get the animals get well used, and I don't you know. You know, and I find that. What I do, and this this is just the way I am. Um, I have a grinder, and uh, I'll I'll take the the tougher cuts, and I'll grind them, and I mix it with about twenty five percent regular ground beef. And what I find is, is that regular ground beef um, gives it some fat because deer is very very lean. And uh, some people put pork with it. I do that if I'm going to make sausage. But usually, if I'm just going to have some ground meat and I want ground deer, I'll uh, I'll mix it with beef. And um, also, uh, one of my son's friend is a, a Muslim, so he can't do the pork. So I started mixing it with beef, uh, partially because of that. And then I found, you know, it makes the burgers and whatever you're cooking, whether you're putting it in spaghetti sauce or chili or whatever else, it does give it some of that uh, fat content that deer, I mean, I trim the deer fat off. I find that's where most of the wild flavor, I guess, comes from, is from the, the fat off a of deer. So I trim all that off. And then I take all the, the tough cuts like the shanks that you mentioned. I, I just grind them and yep. uh, it works out fabulous. Yep, it's still it's still good value, and it ends up being in uh, like you said, spaghetti sauce and lasagna and burgers and meatloaf and oh man, there's a yeah, bunch of stuff yeah. you can do with brown. That's yeah. cool. It's good. Yeah, I've uh, that's a topic for another podcast. But I've I've started to uh, cure um, some deer. I made some pastrami and I made some. 
called tasso ham, which is like a spicy ham to put in like jambalaya and stuff. That's a yep. that's that's topic for another podcast. But um, but yeah, it's been very been very helpful and very instructive to uh, to be able to hunt with you now for a couple of decades. That's crazy. <laughs> I think it's time when you're having fun. <laughs> I think it's crazy. We must have put. Oh man, it must be a hundred animals now, like in 20 years. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's insane. Anyways. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some game in the freezer. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, I, I'm uh, surprised at how fast uh, with two boys living in different households now, how fast the moose uh, content of my deep freeze has gone down. <laughs> I was looking the other day. I was like, huh, I only got a couple of roasts left and, uh, maybe a half a box of ground moose. <laughs> it's like, huh, where did all the steaks go? <laughs> well, yeah, I remember Matt. <laughs> I remember Matt calling me from Safeways on his cell phone. He's like, Dad, do you know that sirloin's <laughs> like eight bucks a pound? I'm like, yeah. uh, yeah. He's like, we got to go. We got to go hunting. I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's cool. Well, good, Pete. Um, what else, what else, what else do you want to cover? Is there any advice you want to give to, uh, to listeners who are getting started, maybe getting started late like I did? Well, you know, don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. Um, you got to remember stuff happens in the field. It just does. Um, don't beat yourself off if you miss, um, just try and do the best you can. Um, you know, I, I've done quite a bit of bow hunting as well, and it's uh, it's tough to sneak up on an animal. Um, you know, people say, oh, well, non-hunters always say, oh, it's easy to shoot an animal. Well, it's not easy to shoot an animal. Those animals are attuned to their environment, and unless you're very good at sneaking around, they're going to see you and leave. <laughs> Yep. So it's it's not it's not as easy as everybody thinks, and it certainly isn't what Hollywood portrays it. Um, I find it to be a very personal, satisfying thing to to be able to harvest an animal, um, and uh, it's a it's almost a spiritual thing when it happens. It's uh, deeply emotional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see a lot of hunting shows on TV and they're high-fiving and giggling and going crazy and shaking. And, and Sure, I don't – that's not how I respond to it. Yeah. But um, it, it's it's interesting. I realize they have to do that for ratings or dramatic effect or what have you. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you talked about a uh, little bit about walking up on a freshly killed animal and about your first doe. And I remember walking up on the second animal. So it was that, that second fall and I made a good shot. It was a heart shot, but the deer took off on a run and I thought, Oh, 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 oh it's gone. And then it piled up. So there was a good distance to walk up on it. And I had time to think as I walked up on it. And when I walked up yep. on the animal, I thought, man, oh, man, that is one heap of dead. And that yep. animal that animal is as big as I am. Yep. And now it's dead. And I made it dead. 
And I yep. better do the very best I can possibly do with that animal. And, and since then, you know, I've killed bigger, I haven't killed a really big bear, but I've killed bigger bears, bigger than me. Yep. And, and elk and moose that are, that are two or three times. I mean, a moose could be five times or more. Yeah. I mean, 1,400 pounds. Four or five times as big as you, right? A quarter is almost as big as you. And you you walk up on those animals and you think, man, oh man, like, yeah. And I just did that. So we're, we're accountable, but part of that accountability, I, I go back to honor and I I don't want to make too big of a deal of that, but we honor the animals by taking good care of them and eating eating them and doing a good job. They've they've exactly. given that's yep. that's how the world works. That's how the globe is designed. You know, animals are are meant to be consumed. That's part of what we do. But we need to care for them and uh, and do it with honor. So I I feel like that. I feel like you've taught me that actually. It's well, uh, good. It's been a really good collection of lessons. And yeah. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast to... Uh, well, like I said to you before, I'm not sure anybody wants to listen to anything I've got to say. I'm no expert, but... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I disagree. I think you really are an expert and you're sort of quiet about it, but uh, but you know what you're talking about and you've got the you got the cred to, to back it up. Is there any, is there any parting stuff you want to leave listeners with, Pete? Just have fun. Life is short, you know? Um, Get out there, pick up hunting if you can. Try and find someone that'll teach you. Um, it's it's a very rewarding task. I won't call it a sport. Uh, it's just a task. And uh, yeah, when you sit down at the table and you're eating something that you harvested, that you looked after, that you butchered, you cooked, uh, it's very satisfying. Nice. That's about it. Nice. <laughs> Let's end on that. Pete, I appreciate you. uh, Well, I appreciate you teaching me how to hunt. I appreciate (laughs) you joining me on the podcast. And together, we will elevate your game. Thanks, folks. Thanks.